1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we'll begin reading this evening at verse 13. Just read two verses this evening. Brethren, let us hear the Word of God. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. And we pray the Lord bless the reading of this precious word this evening. Corinth was a port city. It was a port city in ancient Greece known for its party spirit and for its debauchery. I've lived near a couple of port cities in my life. They haven't changed. They're the same. Even in our day. Corinth was a place of moral licentiousness, deep immorality, and unspeakable perversion. Manhood, destroyed as it always is, by sexual immorality, pornography, and perversion, had shriveled to a cowardly, effeminate parody of itself. Ours has become a Corinthian culture, complete with a full-blown, relentless, and withering attack on manhood. The media, the public schools, the judicial system, and sad to say, many churches, or at least many professing churches, have all united to make a frontal assault on biblical manhood. The men of our culture have been analyzed, easternized, ecologized, eroticized, feminized, globalized, politicized, psychoanalyzed, secularized, sodomized, and socialized to the point that our culture and true manhood have all but reached their demise. And brethren, that is not overstating the case. The attempt is being made to politically correct men out of existence, because in the eyes of some, being a man is about the most contemptible thing around today. The tragic reality is that uh, this is often the case. Most modern manhood is contemptible, and it is worthy of our scorn. The feminists are correct about one thing. Men are the problem in our society. However, we cannot agree with the feminists about why men are the problem. An honest look around the, the landscape raises for us a penetrating question. Where are the men? Where are they? Now, of course... Some of you will say, well, now, wait a minute, sin's the problem. That's right, but sin, it doesn't exist 
in and of itself. It manifests itself certain ways. <laughs> and how does it manifest itself? In the destruction of biblical manhood. And we're not talking about the ladies tonight. We're just talking about the men this evening. We'll talk about the effects of sin on women another time. But many of the problems with women, friends, are their men. So God willing, we want to look at what Paul says here this evening as he commands the Corinthians to quit ye like men. Quit you like men, it says here. We want to understand something about what's being said. He said to a culture that understood little about manhood, finish your course like men. And that means something. We want to understand what it means. So, God willing, I hope to uh, open this tonight under these heads. The command to manhood and secondly, the recovery of manhood. Let's begin by looking carefully at verse 13. Watch ye. Now this is an imperative. This is a command. Not only is it applicable to the Corinthian church in its day, it is directly applicable to us. We are being commanded as well to watch. Secondly, it says, stand fast in the faith. And then this unusual imperative, quit you like men. Be strong. Now stop and think for just a few minutes. He's addressing the entire assembly when he says, quit you like men. He's talking to the women. He's saying, there's a way to run the race. There's a way to finish the course. There's a way to get to the end of your calling. And he says to all the believers, quit you like men. So even our dear sisters in this command are being called to a particular way of living. Now, this is not calling women to live like men. But there is a characteristic about manhood that's being set before us. And many of us in our day have no concept. This verse says nothing to us because we don't know what biblical men are. So, this is what we want to consider for the next few minutes. Let's look at these four imperatives. All of these commands imply the, the, the figure of spiritual combat. And all the terms are taken from the position of an army ready for the battle. And this is often the way Paul spoke. He used images in his day that would communicate to those who heard. And brethren, we need to understand something about that. God's children are not people lying around on beds of ease, waiting to just kind of drift up to heaven sooner or later. We are called here to be like men, so to speak. He's saying, be ready soldiers. Watch Stand fast, quit, 
And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. And be strong. Be strong. So, let's begin first by considering that all the tenses of these verbs express continuing action. This is not something you do once. This is something that should be characteristic of our lives. Something that takes place all the time. We're not to watch once. We're not to watch uh, sometime uh, off in the future. But now, every day, watch. Watch. So let's consider watching first. This particular phrase implies a determined effort at wakefulness. A determined effort at wakefulness. Be on the alert, in other words. It means don't be careless. Don't be indifferent. Brethren, in our day, we have two huge errors. There's always the error of legalism, and most people don't really understand what legalism really is. In in many people's minds, legalism is simply telling people God expects you to do this. That's not legalism. Legalism is the idea that you are right with God by your own works. That you are justified with God by what you do. And of course, this is great and serious error. But in an attempt to correct, at least perceptions of legalism, some who believe in grace have gone to an excess that is likewise unbiblical. And they think somehow that grace virtually releases us from any responsibility. And that is unbiblical as well. And it is destructive. It is grace that should fuel our service to God. It is grace that should make us a zealous people that walk with the Lord in obedience to Him. Not to save ourselves, but because His great love compels us to walk with Him. Now, that is why it's absolutely vital that we lay hold of what Paul is saying to saying to the Corinthians and to us. Brethren, when he says, Be alert! He's the Apostle of Grace. But he clearly understood that we need to wake up and realize we're in a genuine battle. As God's children, we're at 180 degrees uh, opposite direction from the world. We are swimming upstream. And when we walk with the Lord, it is going to be vital for us to be awake, aware, alert. The Christian church very often thinks that because of grace, they can just sit back, put their feet up, I'm going to heaven, doesn't matter how I live. Brethren, this is unbiblical. And it is destructive to a life of holiness. But more than that, it is destructive in the practical outworking of what manhood is. Let's dig into that just a little bit. What Paul is calling us to do is to be on the lookout for attacks from the enemy or evil influences. 
This must be, as I said, our constant character. Now, you see, that's not particularly comfortable. And that's one of the reasons we don't like to do it. We don't like to stay on the alert. It requires our thinking. It requires our knowing the Word of God and analyzing the things that are coming our way by what God says. God says to the Philippians, uh, Paul wrote to them, God said to them through Paul, I want you to be able to judge the things coming your way. And this is vital. Day by day we're going to hear things. We're going to have people set doctrines before us. We're going to encounter things in the workplace. We're going to hear things uh, attacking us from the media. It's all around us. We must know what the truth is. And then we must be able to defend the truth. We must be able to understand it ourselves. We must be able to impart it to others. Brethren, this requires something from us. We need to feast on the fountain from God's Word. Be enlightened by His Holy Spirit. And be ready. Be alert. Be on the alert for your own heart first. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Keep the heart. And that means to guard the heart. Keep the heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. What do you guard it with? The truth. You guard your heart. With the truth of God's Word. You must fill your mind. Saturate your mind and your heart with the cleansing and eternal truths of God. And that's how you have the eyes to see and understand what's going on around you. Brethren, the church, or at least the professing church in America, has adopted the attitude that, quote, church is just going on Sunday, hearing a message that someone else has chewed up and digested for me and is supposed to give it to me in baby food, you know, and then I go home and uh, blow most of it out with what I watch or listen to the rest of the afternoon. It is no wonder that we see the culture penetrating professing churches at every level. At best, we have many immature babes instead of people that are filling their minds and heart with eternal truth and then being able to be alert and on guard for that which is coming their way. And that must begin with the individual. Guard your heart. How vital this is. If a man does not guard his heart, he is an open target waiting for a mortal blow. As God warned Israel, only take heed to thyself and keep, that's the word guard again, keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thy eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. This is God telling His people, You must know my truth. And you must teach your children my truth. And you must teach your grandchildren my truth. 
Now, where does the responsibility of that begin to fall? Husbands and fathers. Husbands and fathers. Men, I say to you, you need to learn to be alert first for yourself that you might know the truth and guard your own heart because out of it day by day is going to come the issues of life. You must learn to walk according to the Word of God so that you can instruct your children and even your grandchildren according to God's truths. As Christ sadly observed His disciples sleeping during His most awful trial, He said, Watch ye! Watch! What was the problem? They were tired. They were sleepy. They drifted off. And brethren, the men of our culture have gotten tired and sleepy. They've drifted off. Christ stood and looked at those that He loved and said, Watch! Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Brethren, it is a battlefield. And men, you need to know how to walk according to the Word of God. If you're simply waiting for the pastor to get up and to teach you once or twice a week, I can assure you, that's not enough. Amen. You are facing things every day that you're not ready for and you don't know how to deal with. Amen. And you will invariably make wrong decisions because you have not been instructed by the eternal truth of God. A man must guard his heart, guard his lips, guard his actions, guard his mind with all diligence. Secondly, we must not only guard or be on the alert for our own hearts. Men, you must be on the alert for those in your family. Again, this is simply Christian, Christian character. But I am speaking to the men. You need to be on the alert for those in your family. We've become so individualistic that we have lost the biblical concept of the man's leadership. Why do the feminists hate the Bible so much? It is because it is patriarchal. God is referred to as father, not mother. It isn't mother nature. It is Father God. Amen. They hate that. Messiah was a man. The Christ was a man. And all through the Scriptures, male headship is constantly affirmed. I mean, if you will read in the book of Numbers, a daughter or a wife could make a vow. And if the father, the husband, heard that vow and didn't want his wife or daughter to do that thing, he could disannul that. Right. Try that today in virtually any evangelical church. That man will generally be hated. Yes. Amen. No, sweetheart, you're not going to do that. that. That's not in line with uh, the way our family walks. And, and I realize you think that this is a wise thing to do, but Daddy says, uh, no, we're not going to do that. 
That's a man that's generally hated in this culture. To a wife or to a daughter, I mean, the, the, the idea of the husband making the decision, that is so foreign that many professing churches today think that, that that's some kind of weird religion. And yet it is the clear, biblical pattern for the leadership. There is the husband, the father, who is to lead and guide his family in the truth. He can't do it if he doesn't know it. Husbands and fathers, the Word of God speaks to you and says, be on the alert. Guard your own heart. Guard your family. That means you must honor your father and your mother so that your children will learn to do so. It means you must love your wives as Christ loved the church. I say to you, friend, listen, how in the world can you possibly obey that command if you're not filling your mind and heart with what the Scripture talks about as Christ's love for His bride, us, Fathers, husbands, and let me just narrow it down to husbands right now. Husbands, how can you possibly love your wives as Christ loved the church if, first of all, you don't understand Christ's love for you? Have you read Matthew? Have you read Mark? Have you read Luke? Have you read John? Have you seen how Christ, day by day, loved His bride, His disciples? How did He speak to them? There were times when He instructed them. So you must learn how to instruct your family. You're going to... A power failure interrupted the program at this time. There will be about two or three minutes missing out of the sermon. We regret this, but these things happen. He must be on the alert for his children because it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Has that ever sunk down deep in your thinking? Notice, it does not say here, Mothers, raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. What do many men do? Ah, oh, well, you know, I'm the breadwinner. I'm tired when I come in. I want to come in, put my feet up, you know, turn on the tube, do whatever I want to do. Sweetheart, children, they're making noise. It says, fathers, fathers, raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Well, that obviously implies something. It means you yourself have learned something about being raised unto God. And you are to raise your children unto Him. Fathers, do you know what your children are being taught? Do you know what your children are seeing and hearing? Do you know how to come to your children and say, Yes, I know that Billy and Susie's mom and daddy think this or that, but the Word of God teaches us this, and this is why we're going to do this. Yes, I know. But what is your name? <laughs> is your name Frakes? Well, then the Frakes household says, this is what the Word of God says. 
And this is what we walk in, regardless of what anyone else thinks. Men, God is talking to you. Be on the alert. Be aware. Know what's going on. Pastor cannot live your Christian life for you. He can declare to you the counsels of God. And He is to exemplify them and live them. But you must walk with Christ. Now, that brings us to family worship. If we're to be on the alert, we must be fortifying our wives and our children against the attacks of the world. Fathers, is it just standard? Is it just like breathing in your house that your children know and understand today? Before we go to bed tonight, we're going to have family worship. Family devotion. Do your children ever hear you pray other than, thank you for this food, amen? Do your children hear you pray? You say, well, you know, I didn't go to seminary. I don't understand all this thing, all this stuff here in the Bible. Well, then do you open up the Word of God and say, here's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I don't understand everything in it, but it's the Word of God. And everything the Lord teaches us from it, we're going to walk in it. Brethren, Christianity is a life. It's not simply a nice, systematized stack of doctrines. It is the doctrine of Christ lived out day by day in our lives. And we're being told to be on the alert. Be on the alert. That's part of the Christian life. Well, you must be on the alert and, and, and if we're going to do that, especially with our children and our wives, we must have some understanding of what's going on around us. And we must know what the Word of God teaches us so that our children and their hearts and minds are cultivated in the things of Christ. Listen to what John Flavel said. And, and uh, he was a great Puritan writer. He said, If you neglect to instruct them, that's your children, in the way of holiness, will the devil neglect to instruct them in the way of wickedness? If you neglect to instruct them in the way of holiness, will the devil neglect to instruct them in the way of wickedness? No. If you will not teach them to pray, he will to curse, swear, and lie. If ground be uncultivated, weeds will spring. Be on the alert, fathers. Preserve and protect your wife and your children by knowing the truths of God's Word. I could go on, but I'll move on to the next imperative. The next imperative is stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. Now the picture here, the Greek words are very picturesque. And we have set before us 
The picture of a soldier holding his ground against the enemy, no matter how intense the heat of the battle or how greatly he is pressed. That's what the Greek literally means there. Stand fast in the faith. Now, he's not talking about stand fast in faith. And, of course, we ought to do that, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the faith, the body of truths unfolded in the Word of God. Know the Word of God, and in the heat of the battle, stand. Stand. Be ready and take on the enemy no matter how intense the battle is or how greatly you're pressed. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest pressures that you men are going to face. When you make a decision and your wife or your children go, but, but, but they get to, but nobody else. But so, brother so-and-so and his children get to. And friends, I'll tell you, there are many a husband that the minute that vice grip comes... And many a father, the minute that vice grip comes, they collapse. Now you've got to stand fast in the faith, know what God's Word is teaching, and then be ready to face the battle, no matter how hot it gets. At the Battle of First Manassas, the Union Army had almost taken the key Confederate position when General B rode up to General Jackson and in despair cried, General, they are beating us back. Jackson was determined not to retreat. And when General B saw his determination to stand, he galloped back to his shattered ranks and shouted, There is Jackson, standing like a stone wall. Rally behind the Virginians. Let us determine to die here and we will conquer. You hear that? Let us determine to die here and we will conquer. Follow me. General B placed himself at the head of his men and led them into the dense mass of his enemy. And he was shot dead facing the foe. Most men today have holes in their backs. They've been retreating for a very long time. Brethren, it is time for men to stand fast in the faith. The ecumenical blanket is surrounding everybody. I'm okay. You're okay. Whatever you want to believe is fine. Whatever you want to believe is not fine. The only thing that matters is, Thus saith the Lord. Do we know what our God has said? That's the hill to die on. Brethren, the doctrine of God's grace is a hill to die on. Men are not saved because they can work up enough faith as such. And they've never been saved because they get good enough or keep themselves holy enough. Christ in His mercy saves His people from their sins and He keeps them. You've got to stand fast in that faith. I'm not calling you to be obnoxious. I'm not calling you to be hateful. But brethren, we have to learn to be like Stonewall. 
and say, I'm standing right here for the truth of this gospel. Children, I know you hear this. Sweetheart, I know that some of these ladies that you're affiliated with know and believe these things. But this is the truth of God and this is where we stand. As we grow together as an assembly and as we begin to unfold the doctrines of God's Word, some of them are very difficult for our flesh and some of them are extremely trying. In this very day, when you find a husband who is actually trying to lead his wife, a father that is genuinely trying to lead his family, he'll get the worst betrayals and some of the very worst attacks from people sitting in the pew, three, three seats behind them. And brethren, I'm not speculating. I've lived this thing for 20 years. You want to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be challenged. You better know what you believe and stand fast in the faith. Instruct your wife in it. Instruct your children in it. And go head first. I'd rather be shot dead facing the foe than to abdicate and be shot as I was running away. Now that means we need men in the pulpits. The biggest problem in, in our society is the men. But especially a particular category of men. And that is the men in the pulpits. I do not hesitate to say that the problem with our nation is not the drug dealers. It's not the excessively violent. It is not the whoremongers. It's not the sodomites. The problem is the pulpits. Men that will not and do not exalt Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. I'm thankful that for 23 years a man has stood here and called men to the grace of God. I just talked with a friend last week who's been looking for churches. He left uh, or was thinking of leaving a church because of the distance he had to travel to get to hear the truth. And so he started visiting the churches that were close to him just to see if there was just something closer. Friends, that is a trap. If you've got to drive two hours to hear the truth, get in the car and go. Don't say, well, you know, it just takes us so long to get the children ready that their souls are at stake. And this man said, well, he said, brother, have you tried to find a church lately? Do you know how bad it is? He said, I've literally had to get up and get everybody with us and walk out in the middle of the sermon. They were hearing things that were so bad. He said, now when we go to a place we haven't been to, we don't even bring the children. We have to hear what's going to be preached first before we let anything come into their ears. He said, we stayed driving the distance. (laughs) Brethren, that's right. That's right. This is what we're going to have to do. Because there are so few men... Uh, There are a lot of men that just want to keep their jobs. There There are many men that want to simply say what the people like to hear. Right. 
Brethren, it is a day when the greatest sin in our society is to stand up and say, we're right and others are wrong. But you've got to stand fast in the faith. You must stand fast in the faith. We don't want to lose fellowship with those who don't agree with us at every point. But dear brethren, we cannot say that what everybody believes is okay because if that's if that's so then there's no such thing as truth because we do not all believe the same things somebody's got the truth we need to be examining ourselves to make sure we know what it is we desperately need men with a burning love for Christ and his perfect infallible word We need men who will graciously yet staunchly and unflinchingly preach that men by their fallen nature are depraved sinners. They're not just people who make mistakes. They are sinners. They are lost and under the just condemnation of God. And if they die in their sins, they will be lost in hell forever. That's not a popular doctrine. But stand fast in the faith. That's manhood. We need men who will preach fervently that sinners must be born again or they will not see the kingdom of God. We need men that will preach the hatefulness and the corruption of sin and the reality of hell. I spoke with a young woman once who took out some pictures at the office and was showing me pictures of her twins. And I said, oh, they, they don't look like you. Do they, look like your, they must look like your husband. And she blushed and she looked down for a minute and uh, she said, uh, uh, well, I, I, I don't have a husband. And I realized I'd tread into a sensitive area. And I stood there for a minute, thinking about what I was going to say next. And she looked at the children and she said, "Uh, they were a mistake. No, they were the result of sin. Brethren, we don't want to crush people. That's not my purpose. But we must deal with people's hearts and tell them the truth. You have sinned against your God. You need to repent of your sins and seek forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in the Lord. But brethren, that means nothing until people come to recognize that they're rebels against God. We need men that preach that. Today, many that fill the pulpits are more satisfied to try to make people feel good about themselves rather than to tell them that they are utterly lost, that by their human natures they will never stand in the presence of God as any but condemned. We need men that will preach that God is sovereign and that man is not. We need men 
that will preach that sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the only acceptable sacrifice for sin is our blessed, resurrected Lord. Today, God is our buddy. He's our co-pilot. Bumper stickers that say all these kinds of things. Though Jesus is the, the, the friend of sinners, that's so. Brethren, He is the only hope. Our nation right now doesn't want to offend the Muslims. It doesn't want to offend people of different faith. And so we just all hold hands and say, well, we'll just all pray to our God. Brethren, that is... that dishonors our Lord. Amen. We need men that will preach that the love of God is something pure and holy and strong and not as something that's pathetically weak drivel. Something that you just feel toward people. We need men that will teach that without holiness no man will see God. And we need men that will teach that real day-to-day life is hotly pursuing the things of God and not the things of this world. Brethren, we are here because we have men that have not stood fast in the faith. I would always rather preach to five families that want to walk with Christ than to 5,000 that still have a foot in the world and think they're on the way to heaven. Not only do we need men in the pulpits, we need men at home to stand fast in the faith. Men who have learned something of Christ's self-denial and have taken up the cross to follow after Him. Men who have found their knees. It's an old Puritan way of saying, learned how to pray. They have found their knees and they can be found in their prayer closet. Fathers, I ask you again, do your wives ever hear you pray for them? Children, do you hear Daddy's voice as He prays daily for you? We need men who love their wives as Christ loved the church and who raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let me press on to our third imperative. He says, quit you like men. Now this is unusual language to us, but it's very important. This means to be men constantly. This means to show yourselves men always. In other words, what Paul is getting at is to be brave and courageous. Because to be constantly vigilant, to be always on the alert, 
stand. To stand fast in the faith is going to take men that are brave and have hearts for the battle. Donald Trump, after a celebrated second divorce, said, well, you know, this. Uh, your wife was saying in the newspapers and saying in the interviews that she really thought that you could make you could have made your marriage work and that if you would have just worked with her at it, you could have made it. His reply in, in the paper was, I work hard all day. I don't want to come home and have to work on my marriage. Friends, more men think that way than you would think. Hey, I have to work all day. I have to do this and that. I don't want to work at marriage. I don't want to work at raising my children. Be bold. Be brave. Be self-sacrificing. And quit you like men. The idea here is run the course with courage. That's what we're being told. And both men and women are being told that. Ladies, while you are to keep your femininity, you are to get to the end with the courage that's manly, that stays the course. See, our generation has fled from maturity like it was some kind of plague. We don't want to grow up. The people of the 60s and the 70s don't want to grow up. They don't want maturity. They just want things to be comfortable. Paul says this, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, brethren, we need to grow up. We need to grow up in Christ. Now, that's the very picture given to us in Scripture. Men born again. Babes in Christ. Children of God. Sons of God. Growing to a full stature of a man in Christ. That's the picture. Growing. The picture is given to us another way. There are those who are taking the bottle, taking the milk. They're not ready for the strong meat. But the whole concept of the passage there in Hebrews is that they grow to the place where they can take the strong meat. We must grow. Maturity means putting away self-centeredness. Brethren, that takes courage. <laughs> that takes bravery to deny yourself to do what would be best for your wife. To do what would be best for your children. Well, I've had this big weekend planned. And yet, when was the last time you spent some time with your children? You've got to have the kind of courage that says, I don't need to do that. Don't need to go out with the guys. Don't need to hang out with the, uh, the brothers even. I need to give that weekend to my wife. And my children. I'm telling you, it will take a lion heart to do that. It will take bravery. Because by nature, by the flesh, we want to satisfy ourselves. But we've got to grow up. Christian maturity means fleeing instant gratification and seeking long-term solutions. Run the course with bravery, with courage. Quit you like men. You see, if we have no concept of manhood, we can't obey that, can we? That's a clear imperative. This is breathed by the Holy Spirit. 
He also finally ends this verse by saying, Be strong. Show strength. That means there are decisions you'll have to make and stand by them. There are men today that simply cannot say no and stay with no. Their wives, oh, but honey, oh, but honey, well, okay. But daddy, but daddy, but daddy, well, okay. If you're right, according to the Word of God, there are times when you have to say no and be strong. There are times when you have to say, this is what we believe, this is what we're going to do, here's the course we're going to follow. And we're not going to the right or to the left, but we're walking with Christ. These are all strong imperatives, are they not? Be alert! Watch what's going on! Stand fast in the faith. Don't budge. Be courageous. Quit you like men. And be strong. Be strong. And then he finally says in verse 14, Let all your things be done with charity. You see, you must be careful with each one of those things. It must be bathed. In the love of Christ. Because it can very easily become authoritarianism. Well, I'm the man. And just because I say it, it has to be. Now, that's, that's not what we're seeing here. We're seeing a determined effort to, in the love and mercy of Christ, walk with Him and guide our families that way. That kind of love is a self-sacrificing love that gives of itself for the benefit of the wife and of the children. Now that's a man. In our day, how much iron you can pump or how tough and bad you are or how many women you have had or all of these kinds of things, how much money you make, how big a car, how many toys you have, this is manhood. Biblical manhood is learning to say, for your well-being, sweetheart. Children, for your well-being, I lay myself down. Because this is what our Christ did for us. He got down and washed His bride's feet, did He not? Husbands, when was the last time you spent part of the day just thinking how you could be Christ-like towards your wife when you get home this evening? Do all your things with charity. That means love. Husbands, Or fathers, when was the last time you spent the day in that morning in prayer, you thought, how can I show something to my children tonight that speaks of the Gospel? The way that Daddy gives Himself to them. Would our churches be different if we had a room full of men that did that? Would we have a church that spoke to the community? about what the grace of God does 
Stop and think about the prediction of the coming of Christ. Prophecy in Malachi was that He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Do you hear that? Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. The very changing, it speaks of the fact that when a man becomes a Christian, one of the things that ought to be clear about him is his Christ-like love for his children. Why? Because of the our God's great love for us. You want to burn into your children's mind that the word Father is a good word. Love for Jesus Christ and love for our neighbors should be the character of our manhood. Jesus Christ could be love on two legs, and yet there was nothing weak about Him, nothing domineering. He led in love. He gave of Himself. He knew when to reprove. He knew when to rebuke. He knew when to encourage. He knew when to comfort. Read the Gospels. Well, let's talk just briefly then about the recovery of manhood and then we will quit for this evening. Number one, it's not enough to just stand and say, well, we've got a problem. Thankfully, I can announce to you there's good news. There's a resolution to the problem. And it's God's resolution. First, biblical manhood is recovered in the gracious miracle called the new birth. When a man is truly born again, when a man is made a new creature, he has a heart for the things of God. And one of the things of God is for husbands and fathers to lead, to nurture, to raise up according to the Word of God. That will only come when you have a new heart, friend. Now, there are some lost men that know how to be good fathers in the sense of being leaders and instilling characteristics in their, in their children. But very often, it is from the wrong perspective. We're to do it because we're to raise our children to our God. Now, you must be born again. It's not something that you can just get out of a book. It is something that comes by the very living Spirit of God making men alive and giving them hearts to walk in this Word. Secondly, biblical manhood is recovered when one repents of his sins and puts his faith in Christ. Now that may sound strange to your ears, but brethren, the most manly thing that ever happens is when the Spirit of God shows you who you are. And you flee from your sins to Christ. We come into this world loving our sins more than anything else. We love ourselves. And when the Lord God of mercy gives us a new heart, and we repent and look to Christ, brethren, that is, that is manhood being restored. The Puritans said it this way, sin unmans man. We've stopped knowing how to be men. 
But you see, what happens in the new birth and when we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is we're brought into saving union with the Most High. And we can start being what we were created to be in the first place. Maleness is not necessarily manhood. Manhood is when the image of God is gloriously restored and made alive in us. Thirdly, biblical manhood is recovered in prayer. The hardest work you will ever do is consistent prayer. The flesh doesn't like it. And brethren, your manhood will be beaten out on the altar of prayer. Husbands, did you pray for your wife this morning? Oh, Father in Heaven, You've given me a bride. Lord Jesus, You've commanded me to love her as You've loved the church. Grant me the wisdom and the grace to love my bride like You love Yours. Is this the way we pray? Is this the way we think? Oh, Father, You've given me these children and You've commanded me to raise them in Your nurture and Your admonition. I know so little. Teach me from Your Word that I may teach them. And then give me the grace to walk in it that they may see the way to go. That's biblical manhood. And I tell you, you'll wear yourself out in prayer. Biblical manhood is recovered in obedience to the Word of God. Next to prayer, obedience strips away the things that look like the world and begin to make us more in the image of our Master. When we walk in loving obedience to the Word of God, Brethren, the flesh cries out. I don't want to go this way. This is hard. I'm tired. I don't want to read the Bible tonight. I'm tired. I don't feel like praying. I know what it says about how I'm supposed to deal with my wife, but I don't feel like it right now. Has that ever had anything like that well up in you? Only when you're awake, right? Yes, brethren. I know that the Word of God says that I'm to deny myself and, and, and I know that I'm to love my brethren as, as Christ loved me. And That takes a lot of work. Brethren, that holy work shows forth the image of your God. And no matter how you stumble in it, brethren, go on, press on. By the grace of God, look to Him and obey Him. You'll be instructing your children. You'll be leading your wife. You'll be speaking to those in the place that you work and in the labors that you manifest day by day. This is biblical manhood. Biblical manhood is recovered by the filling of the Holy Spirit. None of these things can be accomplished in the flesh. Not one of them. Never can be. Never will be. And friend, that will send you to the glorious God of grace day by day coming to that throne of grace and saying, Today, Father, I can't be the husband You've called me to be. I can't be the the Father You've called me to be except by Your mercy and the filling of Your Spirit You grant me the grace to do these things. When I come in tonight and I want to just sit and be quiet and hide behind my newspaper, 
Let me put it down and pick up your word and read it to my children. You need the filling of God's Spirit for these things. And biblical manhood is recovered by taking up our crosses daily, denying ourselves and following after Christ. Where are the men? Where are they? When we read these things, it would almost be enough to throw our hands up and say, this can't be done. And that's the flesh. Brethren, this is one of the primary reasons God saves us. It is not only for us to be in heaven with Him forever, but to restore in us His glory in what Adam lost in the garden. And we become trophies of His grace by walking with Him to be what He's made us to be. His grace is that thing that fills our hearts to pursue these things. So where are the men? I can tell you where they are. They're under the cross. They're under the cross. And Christ is right there with them. They're denying themselves and they're following after the Lord Jesus. Look to Christ and walk with Him. He is not only a ready Savior, but He restores to us, makes us to be man as as we were created to be. The ultimate man was Christ. Let us look to Him. May His gracious, merciful glory be seen in us. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, 
whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.